If you're jumping in late, my name is J.D. Mangrum. I'm the pastor of Christ Church Charlestown. Today we're concluding a series of messages we've been doing called Soundtrack, What Does Your Life Sound Like? Last week we talked about the John Williams orchestral score for the original Star Wars as we talked about being unified in Christ and even having a sort of collective faith that sounds symphonic so that we're all playing our notes and we sound symphonic together. Today, in light of Governor Charlie Baker's decision uh, this week on Monday to reopen churches and just in light of things I see on social media I feel like we almost need to do like the sequel to uh, the, the unified in Christ sort of message and so if last week we talked you know about Star Wars uh, and that score today we need to hit at the Empire Strikes Back okay like I love this one the Imperial March on this one is so good that's the Hopefully Owen will sing along with me on that as he's watching. I love that score. I love that uh, sequel. Listen, unity is hard work. As we shared last week, Christians are already in one sense unified in Christ. We were looking at Ephesians uh, Ephesians 4 where it talks about all the ways that we're one. But in another sense, Paul wrote in Ephesians 4, as we shared last week, that we have to be eager to maintain our unity in Christ. It's work. Like Star Wars, we... Christians, for Christians, the battle is big. The enemy is at times intimidating and certainly very real. And the church can feel like a small rebel alliance. As a church, Christ Church Charlestown, we exist to bring Charlestown together around the gospel. That's our mission. We believe as people come together around the gospel, they also come together around one another. Like if Jesus is here and the gospel message of God's forgiveness is here, as each each of us draws closer into the gospel, we also ought to be drawing closer to one another. And the witness of that, Christians coming together in unity, is so compelling. But it's not always like that for Christians, trust me. Early in my ministry, years and years ago, I worked at a church, uh, Colbert Baptist Church in Colbert, Georgia, population 598. My mother-in-law and sister-in-law uh, and their family still live there today. Literally a third of this little community went to Colbert Baptist on Sundays. And you had two very group, different groups of people who were worshiping there. The first group would have been best represented by a guy, Farmer Bob. Let's call him Farmer Bob. Now, Farmer Bob remembers the good old days of the church, and he remembers the good old days of the community. He wants to honor the past, and he wants to make sure that the church isn't overrun by all these fancy new people with all their new ideas from colleges and from all of these different places. For Farmer Bob, the church's best symbol represents Presenting its history and even who it is today is this wall of photos of pastors at Colbert Baptist. Now, the photos would have lasted for, these would be photos of pastors from a hundred years. Some of these pastors would have uh, been there just a few months. Some of them would have been there for years. And so they all had their picture on the wall, their names and their time of service. All the photos were in black and white. All the photos were in a little bit of dated frames. And even one pastor's photo, I remember it distinctly. He had something about his eyes, so it always seemed like as you walked down the hall, 
he would be following you with his eyes. It was like a Scooby-Doo moment being there every time I would pass it. But for Farmer Bob, that was almost sacred ground representing the church. The other group would have best been represented by Tom. Let's call him Tom, a, a school teacher, not originally from that county or community, but he would have moved there after graduating from the University of Georgia. He would have gotten a job at maybe a school or something. And Colbert Baptist wasn't his home church. He hadn't grown up there, but he and his family would have loved that church. They were involved. They wanted his other teachers and neighbors to get involved there if they could. He would invite them to visit. The church's best symbol sort of representing Tom, if it was those photos for Farmer Bob, for Tom it would have been like coffee and donuts and, and sort of the community that he would experience before church with people and he would walk through the halls of a church uh, on his way into the sanctuary. Tom is looking to the future of the church. He wants a welcoming environment and he wants a church that feels alive and that coffee and donuts really symbolizes that for him. Tom is not a fan of Farmer Bob's creepy-eyed photo of the pastor that looks at him as he walks by. Bob is not a fan of Tom's dripping sugar and spilling coffee in the hall on the carpet of the church. However, they both loved the church. They both wanted it to honor God, and I believe they're both truly Christ followers. They needed to fight for unity, and as I came to see, when they didn't, there were some really painful consequences. Really painful consequences. Um, now, this scenario is not the first one to take place in churches. This happens all over, all over time in history where Christians and Christ followers are, are arguing or struggling for unity in something. Have you ever seen a situation like that? You ever seen a church go through a traumatic season like that? I want to share with you from Scripture one of the first times that this actually happened. Something like this happened in the book of Acts, in Acts um, 15 we're going to look today. Now, Acts 15. It's just 15 chapters after Jesus had ascended back to heaven after his resurrection and 14 chapters after the Holy Spirit had come at Pentecost and the church had kind of been birthed as God began to live in people for the first time. Let me give you some background, if I might. See, for thousands of years, beginning with Father Abraham, remember him? Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. In Genesis, the, from, from Abraham on, the Hebrew or the Jewish people had a sign of faith, a sign that supposedly showed they believed. That sign was male circumcision. Yep, that kind of male circumcision. If you want to be part of Team God, Team Israel, Team People of God, and if you were a man, you'd have to have a small but brutal, painful little surgery. And if someone asked you if you believed, if you were truly one of the people of God, you would kind of lift your robe and showed them the evidence that you were all in or not quite all in. There was no happy medium there. Now, truthfully, people had that out outward um, symbol of circumcision, but they didn't believe or follow God. Their hearts hadn't been changed. They had just been sort of anatomically altered, if you will. And they, you, you could look religious, but not know God. Now, this still happens today. Like, what would be, if you were writing in the comments, what would be some ways that people can maybe look religious without actually having a relationship with God. 
so many times we're all guilty of that. We want to look like we're religious or spiritual, but our hearts can be far from God. So in Acts 2, after hundreds of years of this, at, at a day called Pentecost, the Holy Spirit, God in us, begins uh, to come and live in Christ followers for the first time. Jesus had promised the Spirit, but this had, and it had been prophesied for hundreds of years, but it had never exactly happened. So in Acts 2, it happens. Now the symbol of faith was no longer going to be this outward symbol of circumcision, but an inward heart change, what, what Paul even at times called a heart circumcision. In Acts 2, God begins to live in people. So the goal is no longer outward behavior modification or appearances, but inward heart transformation and a changed life. The life changes after the heart changes. Sometimes we get this backwards. We think, oh, I'm going to follow God, so I've got to clean up my behavior and I've got to do this or stop doing this. And if I do those things, then I'm going to come follow God. And God says, don't clean it yourself up. Like if you have to clean yourself up, then there was no point in Jesus dying. He says, in fact, just give your life to Jesus. Begin to follow him. And as he changes you immediately from the inside, he will then begin to change your words and your thoughts and your actions on the outside. And that, my friends, is good news. Like that is the gospel that in our condition, God doesn't ask us for outward symbols of religion, but he uh, offers to change our hearts from the inside and then change everything else. So, as this message begins to spread across the Roman Empire in the first century, the gospel is spreading. Churches are being birthed and people are coming to faith. Even non-Jews, what the Bible calls Gentiles, who never heard of Jesus as God's son are now hearing that he came and God put on skin and he died to forgive sin. He rose from the dead so that people can have relationship with God and forgiveness and peace and abundant life and eternal life, all because not of some outward symbol, but because of something inwardly that God was doing in people's lives. And they hear all this and people are like, sign me up, sign me up, sign me up. I want to follow Jesus. If that's all that's required is turning and believing, I'm in, sign me up. Now, Paul and Barnabas are two of the best uh, communicators of this message across the Roman Empire. They're first century church planters. A church plants a new church like Christ Church Charlestown. And so they're planting churches, seeing new believers, and they never mention this circumcision because they really believe that heart change is the actual thing. They love these new believers, and they love the future of the faith following Jesus. See, they're a lot like Teacher Tom in that way. They're looking forward to what's ahead. Then some Pharisees come in. Now, think of Pharisees. If you've never heard of them, that's a, sort of like a group in first century uh, Roman Empire in the area of Jerusalem. And the Pharisees are a couple things. One, they're tremendous rule followers. Second, they're good rule followers because they're great rule scholars. Nobody knows the law, the Old Testament, like the Pharisees. So they're rule scholars. And then third, and most dangerously, they are sort of self-appointed rules enforcers. They're professional religious people. Professional, literally professional at following the rules. They think the past has to be honored and traditions kept specifically circumcision, specifically circumcision. They would say something like, well, if it was good enough for Abraham, it's good enough for us. And so they're in that way, a little bit like Farmer Bob, kind of 
obsessed with the past. And so there's confusion breaking out between the Pharisees and these new Gentile believers. Is faith enough? Is circumcision required? And it ends up leading to something called a council, specifically the Jerusalem Council. Now, Jerusalem's the center of this new group of Christ followers. So Paul and Barnabas and the Pharisees and everyone begin to gather there and they're asking this question, is faith enough or is it faith plus outward signs and symbols, specifically uh, circumcision? So the living disciples are all still there, the 12. Some church leaders are there, some church planters like Paul and Barnabas are there, some believing Jews are there with a Pharisee background, some like Paul and uh, like these new sort of believers like Paul and Barnabas are there, and everyone is stating their case. And then Peter, who really is the leader of the first century church, Peter speaks up, and he's the ringleader, and he was really Jesus' best friend. And in Acts 15, Beginning in verse 6, it says this, if I might read this to you. The apostles and elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them. Do you see how he's pointing to what all these people have in common, their unity, as we talked about last week? He made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. He would say, just like he did ours. Now, verse 10. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test? Not why are you testing these new uncircumcised believers. Why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke, a heavy weight, like you would place a yoke on an oxen to get it to carry uh, and, and farm and push? Uh, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of these disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened then to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Let me pray, and then let's just talk really briefly about this. God, will you speak to us? We're listening. God, we all confess, including me, that there are moments where we want to put forth some sort of outward symbol that sort of by doing this or saying this or wearing this or whatever uh, makes people think that we know you. But the truth is all you're asking is for our hearts. And if our hearts are committed to you, that's the main thing. And it makes us family. And so we're symphonically unified in Christ. Lord, these are these have the potential to be divisive days. We live in a divided culture. Uh, God, if we're not careful, we could succumb to the temptation to be divisive and to be divided. So will you speak to us, God? We're listening. In Jesus' name, amen. So Peter basically tells them two things which the unity killers need to hear. Uh, the unity killers even need to hear these things today. The first thing he says to them is, hey, guess what? You are not God and you can't make the rules. That's what he's essentially saying. Go back and reread it. That's the JD translation. You are not God, so you can't make the rules. Now, in the weeks to come, we're going to need to hear, uh, we're going to need to get before God as a church and each individually and say to ourselves, and we may lovingly even need to say it to one another, this very message. You need to say, self, you're not God, so you don't get to make the rules. 
even to people in our church, in love and patience and grace, uh, we may need to say, you're not God and you don't get to make the rules. Or as my kids would say, you're not the boss of me. We might need to say, you're not the boss of me. Now, everyone has opinions right now, and we need to be mindful of those opinions and let Jesus' love be our North Star. Some of us say, you should wear masks. Some of us say, we don't have to wear masks. Some would say, everything should open up now. Some would say, let's wait and see. Some would say, we should meet together next Sunday. Some would say, ooh, that's way too early. Let's wait and see what happens. Some are pro-Trump or pro-Baker or pro-Walsh. Some are anti-Trump or anti-Baker or anti-Walsh. And how do I know? Because I'm friends with you on social media and I've seen you posting some of these things. We gotta be careful not to make additional, non-biblical, divisive, exclusive rules that narrow who can come to our faith or who can come to our church. We wanna do like Isaiah 54, two and three talk about where it says, enlarge the place of your tent. Take the tent pegs, pull them up and put them out further. Let the curtains of the tent be stretched far out. Don't hold back. Lengthen the cord. Strengthen your stakes. We want to let more people under the tent of faith, not less based on some extra biblical rule that doesn't exist. Second thing Peter basically tells them is, don't forget, you're all members of a better group, a deeper family, Christ's body. They were dividing into these circumcision or non-circumcision camps. Peter says there's a better group, a bigger group, an eternal group. Expend your energy being part of that one. Look, the church is a crazy thing. It's a crazy body. It's a bunch of messed up, broken morally, spiritually bankrupt nobodies being called saints and called into a spiritual family in Christ. Like, how many of you can say, amen, that's me, uh, messed up, morally broken, spiritually bankrupt nobodies, but also called a saint and called into family, called to be one. In our house, we sing a song by Hillsong uh, United called Good Grace. One of the first, the first lines of Good grace, say this, people come together, strange as neighbors, our blood is one. We may not, as a church, necessarily uh, always like each other, understand each other, definitely not uniformly of the same opinions as each other, but strangely, we are family in Christ, and we are unified in that way. The song goes on to say, children of generations, every nation of kingdom come, all family, strange as neighbors, mysteriously won by the blood of Jesus. The church makes no sense, but we're all family in Christ. And Peter's telling these people to pursue the deepest unity. If Peter lived today, he would say, when you get on social media, remember who's your family. Remember who's your family. And refrain from divisive posts or comments or even emojis. This is not a moment for Christians to stir stuff up with one another in the world or even in the social media universe. Peter would say, you're not God. You don't get to make the rules. Don't forget all we have in common and that we're part of a bigger family. And so the place fell silent. It fell silent. A hush came over the crowd. They heard what God had done and then they reconciled. And I love this. They found a gracious middle. They found gracious middle ground. Read the rest of Acts 15 and see what happened. And then the church advanced 
and more and more people came to faith across every major city in the Roman Empire, and the church has been advancing ever since, thanks to their unity. This was a moment where it could have all stopped, and what God was doing, they could have poured cold water on it, and it ended. They didn't. They found a gracious middle, and the church began to continue to advance to the glory of God. So what do we need to do with this example from our faith history? I just want to give you five practical, quick little things here. One, let's all remember and let's tell ourselves now and always, you are not God and you don't get to make the rules. And we are members, all of us, of a better group, a deeper family, Christ's body. And even more broadly, in dealing with non-Christians or pre-Christians, or if you're watching and you say, I don't know that I'm even part of the family of God or a Christian or part of the church, we can all just do this because we all have a common humanity and everyone is made in the image of God with dignity. Someone for whom Christians believe Christ died, whether you believe it or not, uh, it is true. And everyone's deserving of love, even if they haven't earned it. Because the truth is, God's loved us when we didn't earn it. Like, that's the gospel. These two things are true in COVID-19, and they're true broadly, even in situations like pastor's photos on the wall, or cups of coffee and donuts in the hall. They're true of which Bible translation we prefer to use. Nothing worth fighting over. They're true of if we like a digital Bible, or if we like an old school paper Bible. They're true over which songs we like to sing in church. They're true of how we dress when we show up to worship together. They're true. Some of you like to cross yourselves during prayer. Some of you don't. We're still family, broader family. We don't get to make the rules about all of that stuff. And there's more and more and more. I am not God. I don't make the rules, but you are my brother, my sister in Christ. Second thing we need to remember we need to be prepared for the hard work of reconciliation. Listen, unity is not easy. It's not easy. If we think unity is easy, we need to look at the cross where Jesus died to broker unity between us and God. It was bloody. It was painful. It was humbling. And it cost him everything. If we're going to bring Charlestown together around the gospel and be a church of people and a church for people of all races and socioeconomic groups and ages and religious backgrounds and hurts and habits and hangups and all of those things, we're going to have to be ready to work at it. We have to be ready to work at it constantly. <laughs> our church has some well-meaning farm, farmer bobs and our church has some well-meaning teacher toms and a lot in between. So we're going to have to practice unity coming together around Christ. Third thing, when it comes to interacting with others, especially on social media, especially for the next couple of months, do me a favor. Before you post something in all caps or you use some passive-aggressive emoji or just in talking or texting, breathe. Before you post it, breathe. And then ask, is it true? Is it beneficial? Is it necessary? Christian, even ask, is this something Jesus would post right now? If you can't answer yes to all those questions, let me encourage you, please put the device down. Zip your lips, throw away the key, put the device down, don't say it, don't post it, don't type it, don't emoji it, just leave it alone. It is not worth it in this moment. Run from divisiveness and instead pursue unity, the hard work of unity and reconciliation. Four. With this in mind, pray for us. Pray for me 
uh, leading Christ Church Charlestown in the days ahead is going to be challenging. Look, we're a diverse church with a diversity of opinions and a diversity of uh, convictions and all those things. As a church, we are penciling in meeting back together the second Sunday in September, but we're writing that in pencil. Uh, and we're going to see what happens in our culture. And we need God to work out a lot between now and then. In the meantime, we're going to continue to do the Facebook Live. Uh, but we're penciling in the second Sunday in September. Will you please pray for wisdom to lead well and for God to grow Christ Church Charlestown in the meantime? Will you pray that we would be unified? Pray for wisdom, courage, for people to come to faith and take next steps. And I would also ask that you would pray for me as I lead our church. I don't want anybody to be left behind in this season. I want us to all be on board, all moving forward. And in fact, I would even call us on this Wednesday, uh, the 27th, to fast. Maybe for a meal, uh, from a meal, maybe for the day. You might fast from three meals. Maybe you fast from social media, your cell phone, TV. But for a part of the day, we just put it away, put it down, and let's together um, pray. And when we feel the hunger for food or for whatever, may we ask God for wisdom and unity and favor and blessing on our church and on Charlestown and on Greater Boston. And then finally five and we'll pray. At the end, I want to ask you today to hit share. Invite your community of friends and family to watch today's message. If this is too big of an ask, I'm going to ask you to share it with someone that maybe one person that you're friends with. Let's come together around the gospel as a church and as a community, and let's expand the tent pegs together and invite people in. Uh, that's what the gospel does, and that is one of the fruits of unity. Let me pray for us. God, like the first century church grew and spread, May we, in unity, find in gracious middles, may we grow and spread. May our hearts grow bigger. May our faith capacity grow bigger. May our church grow bigger as we see more and more people come together around the gospel. Lord, for unity killers, for those things that we would say, text, post, that would hurt unity, God, give us wisdom to know what we need to say no to, what we need to walk away from, what we need to put the phone or the keyboard down. God, for the one who's not yet in Christ, I pray that they would accept the, uh, your offer, Jesus, by your death of salvation and reconciliation with God, that you would, they wouldn't feel this pressure to begin to be outwardly different, but they would invite you in to change their hearts, to forgive their sin, and then God, just begin to do the work like they're just seeing it happen where you change their outside. Thank you for so many in Christ Church Charlestown who would say, I was not a good person, but Christ saved me, and he has been changing me, and I've been partnering with him to see my life change. God, for all of us, will you do more than we could ask or imagine? We're going to fast on Wednesday and depend on you, Lord. And we're going to tell people, and we're going to view this moment as a moment to continue to come together. And a moment to sort of almost like replant the church, to re-move forward, to be the church now, and to look forward to being the church gathered again in September. Will you do incredible things in the meantime? In Jesus' name, amen.